0: Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Okay, welcome to Market View. First, though, let's check in on how Singapore shares are faring this afternoon. It looks like the STI is well up in the green territory. It's currently up 0.7% at 3,360 points. Advancers are well outnumbering decliners 270 with decliners at 229 after 1 billion securities worth 670 million Singapore dollars changed hands so far. So, now without further ado to take a look at how the STI performed in the past week, Jeff Howie, market strategist at the SGX. Jeff, welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks Hongbin.
0: Thank you for joining me today. Okay, so Singapore shares, they did open in the green today and they're still in the green, but how did the STI fare this past week?
1: Yeah, it has been strong again this week. So uh, for the first four and a half sessions, mm-hmm. the STI has gained two and a half percent. And it brings the July month-to-date gain with, what, one and a half sessions left to 4.8%. So that is comparatively strong. Mm. And if you combine the Singapore dollar appreciation, which is around 1.6%, it means that on a Singapore dollar basis, the SDI has generated around double the returns of the FTSE Asia Pacific Index so far this month. Mm. Uh, And it takes the STI back to these 3360 levels, that we last saw in uh, early to mid-Feb.
0: Okay, okay. So who were the biggest movers on the STI this week?
1: On the uh, upside, it's been Keppel Corp, UOB, City Developments, DBS, and OCBC. Mm. So Keppel Corp's up 5.2%, UOB up 4.5%, and so forth. Then on the other side of the coin, you've got Hong Kong Land Holdings down 3.7%. Cetrium is down 2.1%. Semcorp down 2%. Fraser Logistics and Commercial Trust down around 1.5%. So Keppel Corp led the gain as it did report its highest profit on record in its 55-year of operational history. And that's uh, underpinned by that uh, $3.3 billion disposal gain from that divestment of the O&M business. And then on the other side of that, you saw Cetrium. It did report revenue of 2.9 billion for the first half, but it still reported a net loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, management noted key measures are being worked out to steer the group back to net profitability, which obviously includes looking at its cost structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has also secured 4.3 billion of new orders in the first half, so it brings the order book to over 19 billion dollars. Deliveries all the way through to 2030, and very importantly. Renewables and cleaner green solutions do comprise about 40% thereabouts mm. of Citrium's net order book.
0: Okay, okay. And this week, we also saw a slew of earnings results, especially from Singapore's REITs. In fact, 17 S REITs reported earnings this past week. Were there any of the earnings that stood out to you? I mean, what does this tell us about how S REITs performed in the past several weeks?
1: Well, in terms of performance, uh, it was mixed moves. Um, mm. Generally, they were up around one percent. The forty trusts, on average, or on a median basis, but at the same time, this week global reits were down one percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, not as uh, obviously not as negative as global reits. Not as strong as the STI, which was up two and a half percent. It means the iEdge index is up uh, seven tenths of a percent so far this week, uh, mm-hmm. and up around 2.5% in the month today. Now, looking, as you said, there were 17 REITs uh, or trusts of the REIT sector mm-hmm. that reported earnings. 13 of them actually reported half year mm-hmm. results uh, through to the 30th of June. And only a few of them did declare increases in DPU distributions per unit. So the three pure play hotel REITs, mm. they averaged around 22% gain in their DPU or mm-hmm. 26% gain up in their distributable income. We had the one healthcare REIT, Parkway Life, which reported its DPU was up 3%. And then the data center REIT, K- uh, Keppel DC REIT, uh, its DPU was was generally stable at level. This earnings season, aside from the DPUs, mm-hmm. The rental reversions, the portfolio valuations, as well as the interest coverage ratios, which and those interest coverage ratios are a factor of interest cost, mm-hmm. have been very much in the spotlight. So, mm-hmm. from a, a segment lens, those global commercial REITs that operate in advanced countries where you've got hybrid working conditions really coming in vogue mm-hmm. have have obviously led the spotlight. So Keppel Pacific Oak REITs, for instance, it invests in commercial properties in the US. It reported on Wednesday, its net property income was around $49 million US in the first half. Now, that was up 2% year on year. Its committed portfolio occupancy was still around 91% as of 30th June but it noted that around 50% of its tenants are actually operating in the growing and defensive sectors. CAMI, mm-hmm. um, which is an acronym for Technology, Advertising, Media and Information, mm-hmm. as well as medical and healthcare, make up around half of their their, their tenants. So they noted that the their aggregate leverage of 38% uh, is there. Uh, and they have ample headroom to actually go to 50% aggregate leverage. Um, and they said that, that that gives them capacity to borrow $350 million US before reaching regulatory limits. And alternatively, if you look at portfolio valuation, which, as I said, is what is in the spotlight, the Keppel uh, Pacific Oak Ridge said that the portfolio valuation would need to fall... By 24% mm-hmm. before they actually hit their 50% leverage limit. So that 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 rate um, was at 33.5 US cents at lunch, right. uh, and it's up from 29 cents last week.
0: I see, I see. I mean, thank you for that update. But speaking of earnings, Jeff, yep. Yep. UOB reported its Q2 profit yesterday, where uh, we saw the net profit for the second quarter rise 27% higher on higher net interest income and trading and investment. Income, so the latter also hitting an all-time high. Was this expected for you?
1: Yeah, I think the trading and investment income kind of was because on mm-hmm. the eve of UOB reporting, we see we saw IFAS net profit increase by uh, something, something like one hundred and fifteen percent year on year in the first half. And that actually had seen over the last two and a half days the stock rally um, almost almost a dollar from 4.65 to 5.58. So, so that result of IFAS kind of set a little bit of a tone going into UOB reporting the following morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was maybe I, I think it was better than expected for UOB because if you look at consensus target price, which you can do on Bloomberg, Reuters, or, uh, or even on our OSGX website, mm-hmm. it that target price was around 30 for the 12 months. Uh, head was around $31.54 mm. before it reported and now that consensus target price has been moved up to $31.95. So you've got UOB trading as high as $29.95 this morning. So that's Mm -hmm. up around $1.30 from where it closed last week. So the net interest income aspect of it was expected. But that first half year customer-related trading and investment income, as we said, was up 15% year on year. Um, Looking Mm -hmm. at some of the thematics uh, of our banking sector here in Singapore, I think the digitalization was Pretty important because, mm-hmm. as we saw as we saw in that GDP report a couple of weeks ago the the preliminary report remember that uh, ICT information communications technology digitalization was an important growth mm-hmm. driver, and UOB uh, noted that I think around three quarters of their seven million retail customers are now accessing UOB services digitally. Um, Its digital-enabled customers were up 20% year-on-year. So it sees itself as being well-positioned to serve these incoming Citibank customers from from the remaining of the ASEAN acquisitions. So I guess, um, importantly, Mr. Wee, the CEO, did say that you've got a global outlook that, as we Mm -hmm. mention every week and discuss, it is uncertain. But the ASEAN region um, is expected to stay resilient and that growth will be supported by a more moderate interest rate environment mm-hmm. in the region. Uh, and he also flagged pickup in tourism and demand for services as key drivers. But ultimately, they're looking at low to mid-single-digit loan growth this year. That remains. Margins, they said, are to remain stable at the current level. Uh, they do expect high single-digit fees growth, mm-hmm. such as the trading income and so forth. And they did also mention, as many companies are looking at at the moment, disciplined cost management.
0: Just taking a quick look here at how UOB shares are faring at the moment. Shares are currently up 3.5% and it is leading, you know, the gains here. OCBC is currently up as well, but by 0.6% while DBS is up by nearly 1%. So speaking of which, you know, next week it will be DBS on August 3rd and OCBC on August 4th. So can we expect earnings for those banks to be in line with UOB as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, I mean, that's. I think that's what the market has has you know been looking at because mm-hmm. net interest income does make a significant portion, around two thirds of bank of the banking sector's income here. So there are a lot of uh, similarities in terms of you know the outlook for loan growth and so forth. So um, just just to add to what you were saying before, UOB up three and a half percent first. Mm-hmm uh it is the most traded stock today this mm. stock usually trades around 88 million Singapore dollars so that's how much money changes hands in UOB stocks every day but mm. so far today it's it's traded over 100 million just in the first uh session alone so mm-hmm. um you have uh, a busy trading day mm-hmm. for UOB but look look next week um as i said the net interest income is a, is a pretty similar story for the three banks um OCBC it's targeting net interest margins in the region of 2.2% this year, and also, as, as, as UOB said, looking at low to mid-single-digit loan growth. And I guess um, it's not just sort of the interest rate story, but also the thematics and the importance of digitalization as well. I think uh, the DBS Investor Day was back in May, and it was then that the CEO highlighted the DBS's financial outperformance Mm -hmm. had been actually driven by digital transformation and that the group had continued to create this sustainable advantage with technology and that had enabled DBS itself to break all these organisational silos per se um, and become more data-driven and extend their reach through their partners. And the CFO also relayed that the successful digital transformation pretty much since 2015 Mm -hmm. had led to higher return on equity and better shareholder returns. And and in that Investor Day, she noted that DBS's ROE, return on equity ranking, is in the top decile of the world's largest banks. Mm -hmm. And the stock also ranked then as number four among all its global peers in total shareholder returns since the end of 2015. So yeah, those expectations are are pretty high going into next week.
0: And I just want to move on now to some economic news. Uh, Here in Singapore, inflation numbers kicked off the week and it showed that inflation did cool to 4.2% in June, which is the lowest level in a year. So Jeff, based on this, can we assume that we're now fully out of the woods of the inflationary environment here in Singapore and expect Inflation to cool further in the second half of the year.
1: Yeah, so that four point two percent for June, mm. it is as low as the core has been in twelve months. So that is that is uh, that is definitely the momentum where it's going. The MAS does expect core inflation, I think, to average now between three and a half percent to four and a half percent for the full year. Uh, but it has also what it did is actually lower the all items inflation forecast. Down a whole percentage point, down to 4.5 percent to 5.5 percent for, for, for uh, in its annual report. Mm-hmm. So that was that. That is, uh, you know, we are expecting inflation to cool further. Um, the MAS core inflation is projected to reach around two and a half percent by the end of the year. But you but you can't you cannot kind of say it's definitely going to cool further because there are upside risks to the estimate. There's also downside risks to the estimate as well. So I think UOB, excluding that 1% impact that GSD has brought to inflation this year, they expect, I think, headline inflation to average around 3.7% and core inflation to average 3% this year, which is still obviously a little bit above that standardized 2% objective.
0: You know, speaking of inflation, of course, this week the biggest focus was the major central banks reporting their interest rate decision, uh, and that's including the U.S. Fed. So, Jeff, I wanna, I wanna listen to your perspective on this. I mean, of course, that 25 basis point hike was widely expected. But what did you make of uh, Jerome Powell's speech? Yeah,
1: it was expected. But I guess positives from the speech included that the Fed would continue to pursue a data dependent approach that there were some continuing signs the supply and demand in the U.S. labor market were coming back into balance so that ultimately means that your nominal wage growth is showing Mm -hmm. some signs of easing and job vacancies are also declining. So overall on the inflation front he noted that despite elevated inflation the longer term inflation expectations do appear to be well anchored in the surveys and so forth that, that that they run, as well as how they gauge the performances of financial markets. Uh, he did note that in determining the extent of the additional policy firming that might be appropriate to return inflation, Back to the actual Fed target of Mm -hmm. 2%, the committee, the FOMC, would take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, and there is a lag involved. So that would be well received by the market because it takes time for the hikes that have been already made to actually impact economic activity, inflation, and so forth. So. That's kind of, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, was, was welcomed, uh, somewhat by the market this week.
0: Okay. Well, Jeff, do you see more rate hikes are set to come in the remaining days of the year, or do you think that was the last one?
1: We will see. <laughs> um, so, so, a little while to the next FOMC, we've got the Jackson Hole Symposium around August 24 to 26, and this year it's titled Structural Shifts in the Global Economy, but beyond that, you've got The FOMC in September, the expectations for another 25 basis point hike in September, mm-hmm. is still around 20% that they might hike. That's been, those expectations have been at those levels pretty much for the past month, so not much change there. Mm-hmm. But overall, when you look big picture, for the remaining three FOMCs that we have this year, your your expectations for at least one more hike is around 30% and then there's 70% expectations there'll be no more hikes. Mm-hmm. We're still a good, I guess now five months away from next Year, which is happening, <laughs> it seems to be time. Just seems to be running out. Yeah. The the ex, but there are longer term expectations that the Fed might gravitate back to having an interest rate of around four percent by mm-hmm. the end of next year. But that assumes inflation comes in uh, con- or continues to, to decline. But uh, it's the Fed chair did point out on Wednesday night that. There is a lot of uncertainty between what happens in the next meeting cycle, let alone whatever happens next year. But really important, uh, Hong Bin will mm. be the next key gauge on U.S. inflation. That's mm. the PCE deflator. That's due at 8.30 p.m. tonight. Mm. Expectations are that the core will come down to 4.2% in June. Mm-hmm. So that's down from 46 in May. Uh, and Hongbin, that will be the lowest year-on-year print since 3.9% back in September 2021
0: I see I see we'll look out for those data but I mean it was such a heavy week there were a lot of things going on this week Will it be the same next week what else should we be looking out for
1: yeah, I mean, there's, there's another 160 S&P 500 stocks reporting. <laughs> We've got a number of big reports due next week. Yeah. Uh, you've got Maple Tree, Pan Asia Commercial Trust after the Monday close. Mm. But before the Monday open, you've got Raffles Medical Group, Capital Land, Ascender Street. Tuesday, you have Fraser Logistics and Commercial Trust and mm-hmm. Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust. Uh, as we said, uh, before the market opens on Thursday, you've got DBS Group Holdings. Friday, you've got SemCorp Industries, mm-hmm. Venture Corp as well as OCBC, and also I think on the US front as well, should mention, because we've got that PCE, as I said, tonight, but you've also got Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin, who is a non-voter this year, but he is a voter next year, and he will be speaking in public on Thursday, so um, we'll be watching that one very closely as well.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me today.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Hongbin.
0: Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. We've been speaking with Jeff Howie, market strategist at the SGX. Stay with Money FM eighty nine point three. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.